0: the Boundary Corner podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson.
1: I'm Brian Seila. Buddy, we're live on a Wednesday night. How you feeling, buddy?
0: Back-to-back Wednesdays in the offseason.
1: Yeah, yeah. We yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, we couldn't let the uh we'll let the spring game shenanigans uh simmer for too long, so we had to get one going this week.
0: Oh, no. We couldn't. I mean, plus, I mean, you'd already watched you were at the spring game. You watched it Sunday, you watched it Monday. You uh, Brian would likely be on his ninth to 10th watching of the spring game, trying to analyze everything that happened. If we, uh, if we didn't do that, man. So, uh, so let me just ask this. I know you took your son down. How was the trip up and back?
1: Uh, Trip up and back was great. Actually made it in like three hours and 10 minutes. No no traffic really either in or out, Um, you know, just, it was a good trip, good times. Uh, my son got there; he was hanging out with kids at at the tailgate we were at. He was hanging out with kids at the tailgate next to us, so uh, he was having a good time until we went into the stadium. And it was just a good time all around. He got to jump to Sandman for the first time, so he got the he got the full experience, uh, at least from a spring game perspective, right out the gate.
0: Full experience of a real game, too. Just not as much as the chaos as going up in the fall when it's. 66,000 in the stadium and about 100,000 in the town when it's craziness.
1: Yeah, I think we probably clipped above, you know, just above 30,000 somewhere in there. It looks like what, you know, what what the attendance was. I'm not sure what the exact number was. I haven't seen anyone put that out there yet, but I mean, it was was a good showing. Um, West was pretty much filled, North was pretty much filled, South was about three quarters. Then you had about you know, a, a quarter to a third of uh, of East pretty pretty stacked on that side. So, it yeah. was it was a good crowd and just good atmosphere all around.
0: Yeah, but I'm thinking going back to when we went in sixteen, if if you can remember, we sat in East and remember they had like a they had like caution tape up in East, yeah. like you couldn't go but so far up on East. So maybe I don't know if if it's a liability thing or it's just they they always are constantly, you know, those updating those seats and stuff. But may, maybe that's the reason East did not look as filled as West because you sent me a picture of West, man. I mean, West was packed. West looked like oh, a game yeah. day with the exception of the upper right corner. Like, no one was there. And that looked very awkward because you kind of look around like, that's a great view spot. That's a spot we've set before. So, you know, but I, I'm I'm glad you got to go or one of us got to go down there. Um, I'm kill talking because I'm keeping an eye on the Nets-Celtics game. Mike McDaniel is going to join us just in a second here. Big Celtics fan. Mike was chatting us up while watching the game right before we came on. Um, So, you know, I just went final here. Women's softball, top 15 victory at Tennessee tonight. That game was on ESPN, dude.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know that? Yeah, I pulled up the app and I was
0: like, oh, that's on there tonight? That, there that's we cool. go. That's well, I, I, turned, I turned it over for a couple innings. I just, like, oh, cool, let's see how they're doing. They're up 3-1. And, like, and I looked, I'm like, that's not ACC Network. That's not the deuce or you. That's full bore ESPN. So, definitely, big night for the ladies giving a uh, getting a uh, big win. I mean, they're marching closer and closer, not to only getting a regional hosting. A potential getting a super regional in Blacksburg when the tournament starts, so that will be awesome, Brian. Yeah. I'm looking at the score. Yep, yeah. it's 114-105. one oh five. We're under twenty five seconds. Is it safe to bring him on?
1: I think we're good, man. I think I, th- I think he feels pretty comfortable about the about the cushion now.
0: All right, Reggie what?
1: Miller's not out there, so I think we're going to be all right. Oh man,
0: <laughs> oh, oh man, Reggie Miller is not out there, so. We are going to bring on our guest tonight from SI, from Hokie Hangover, from Sons of Saturday, the one and only, hardest working man in Hokie podcast land, Mike McDaniels.
2: What's up, boys? How's it going, Mike? I, I know storm? I'm making I, – listen, I know I'm making my annual appearance on this podcast when I have a Boston team in the playoffs, and you guys are stalling for me in the intro. so I do appreciate that.
0: Last year it was the Bruins. It was I mean, really the Bruins. It was the it's Bruins
2: last right. year. It was. It was. No, so I appreciate it. I was, uh, I was locked in, so.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
2: Uh, they're up – I see it's, it's nine. Are we in a TV
0: timeout or something?
2: Yeah, yeah. They're up seven with about 35 seconds left, so safe to bring it on. Okay. <laughs> excellent, excellent.
0: The blood pressure
1: is a little bit lower than it was when no, we first. I thought. was, I was, I was nervous. I was nervous.
0: well, I mean, we, I told him I, I turned it on. They were down like five points, and then I got to talking with Brian on here right before we went on. I turned my phone off, go back and look, and it's like a nineteen to one run yeah. Like the Celtics. Like, <laughs> yeah,
2: like, yeah, oh. they were not playing very well in the first half. They're down. Uh, they're down seventeen with four minutes to go in the first half, and then. Hit a couple shots, cut it to ten, and then it was—I mean—all Celtics in the second half. Fourth quarter was great, so pretty fired up to be up to oh man, the Nets are tough.
1: Like yep. Kyrie
2: and Durant, tough. Yeah,
1: that's, tough. A, that's
2: a that's a tough first round draw for you guys. Yeah, I mean that's the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. We had a first round matchup, it's crazy.
0: It is, but hey, you guys pulled the, both Ws at home. What a play by Tatum on uh, what Sunday. With the layup, literally. I'm sure your heart was coming out of your chest there that night.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what made me more nervous. The fact that the Nets were up three, I think, with like 45 seconds left of game one. Or the fact that Celtics were down 17 here in game two. And it was pretty – somehow game two was an easier watch down the stretch. And I thought the Celtics played worse tonight. So, hey, man, I'll take it. I will take it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, we brought you on tonight. We're going to discuss a ton of stuff, the spring game, NIL, some draft stuff. Um, But let's start right before the spring game weekend, you know, kicks off the big announcement from the athletic department about the NIL deals. And essentially there are three big partners with Virginia Tech. You've got Commonwealth NIL um, founded by Nick Rush and Forrest Rush you got Hot Route Marketing, Kelly Woolwine taking care of that, and then Triumph and else, NIL, the one we definitely all are hearing a lot about, um, by James Cowan and by none other than tech legend Kevin Jones. Um, what are you hearing about each? You know, I know one is going to be really kind of geared towards the academic
2: success, right? Yeah, I mean, what I'll say about all three of these, you know, these NIL, you know, companies is that Brent Pry, one of his priorities when he came in as head coach at Virginia Tech was to make sure that this was built out, right? Because, you know, I think Virginia Tech was a little bit behind the eight ball on the NIL stuff. I mean, last year, it was kind of a weird year. You're coming off of COVID, right? It's your kind of the first year. Everybody's trying to get their feedback under them anyway, Right. From a from a COVID standpoint, on top of it, you have this new NIL legislation that passes and now players can make money off their name image likeness. And I feel like a lot of schools are ready from the get go. Right. It's almost like they were anticipating it. I feel like Virginia Tech was behind the eight ball a little bit. And they're they're not alone. Right. Uh, You know, a lot of schools were kind of caught a little bit flat footed by it because I think everybody knew NIL was coming, but didn't know when, you know, (laughs) Um, and, and to make matters even more complicated. I mean, Justin Fuente was a lame duck head coach last year. I mean, that's, that's what he was, right? I mean, it was a tough schedule, you know, Burmeister, a quarterback that I mean, we talked about last year when I was on, like to go into the fall with having only one real option at quarterback and he hasn't really been healthy his entire career leading up to that. It's like, that is a strategy that gets you fired, right? So <laughs> yes. he was a lame duck head coach and, it's really, really hard to get players excited about NIL and and everything that comes along with it. When you know your coach is on the way out, you're not sure if you're going to be at Virginia Tech long-term. That's something you have to think about for some of Virginia Tech's main players. And it's kind of played out that way, right? Like a lot yeah. of Virginia Tech's guys who were major contributors last year and have been major contributors over the last few years are gone, right? And, and we'll get into the NFL draft guys later, but a lot of guys transferred, you know, a lot of guys left Tavion, you know, leaving for Kentucky is a huge loss. Right. And Trey Turner going to the NFL, we kind of knew last year was going to be his last year. Raheem Blackshear choosing to, instead of sticking around, he goes to the league. James Mitchell, you know, blows his knee out. And he's like, you know what, I'm not sticking around for a new coaching staff. I'm, I'm on my way out too. So a lot of guys, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall to begin with. And then, I just think Virginia tech is in a much better spot now from an NIL standpoint, even before you get into the specifics of each, they're in a much better spot now with NIL with Brent prize, the head coach, because there's all this energy around the program anyway. Now you introduce the, the NIL firms that are going to be kind of working, you know, with Virginia tech as like a partner, you know, mm-hmm. even though the school can't facilitate deals per se, we all know how college football works. So they'll find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every school does. It is, but, um, yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be really interesting to see kind of how all this plays out because I know on the basketball side, you know, we saw what Justin Musk was able to do with Tech Sideline, and that's just scratching right the surface, right? Yeah. So it's gonna be really interesting to see kind of what happens from here on out with, with NIL.
1: Yeah, it seemed like Virginia Tech, I know you talked about being behind the A ball, they they did a decent job of kind of setting up things to help players build their own brand, but there wasn't right. a whole lot of push with 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 outside entities to get the ball moving to to help facilitate Agreed. some of those deals and and really use it as a recruiting tool for Virginia Tech.
2: Agree, yeah, for sure. I mean, they that, that was one thing I will give Justin Fuente and his staff credit for um, in the athletic department too. They were like, all right, you know, we're we're making sure these guys kind of understand what this NIL legislation means. You know, how do I build my brand as a player? You know, the coaching staff to their credit. Last year, when this NIL stuff kind of went into effect, they were like, all right, we're going to try to get these players, you know, thinking the right way about NIL. But as far as like outside influences, marketing firms, stuff like that, there wasn't really much of that. Now, mm-hmm. you, can, you can't you can really put too much of it on Fuente himself. Like, everybody loves to blame Fuente and the old coaching staff and all that. But like, <laughs> that's kind of like a hard thing to pin on them. Yeah. but. Mm-hmm from a lame duck head coach standpoint and from the players being like, I don't know if I'm going to be here or not. um, It's really hard to get things really rolling with your star players when they're really, you're really not sure if they're going to stick around. Right. So that's the way I've been thinking about this anyway. So I think now moving forward, tech knows who's going to be in the building, you know, coming out of spring, there's going to be more transfers, but coming out of spring, you kind of know who's going to be around for the fall. And I think you can really get the ball rolling on that.
0: Yeah, and you also got to think about the NIL companies not assured of who's the head coach. And then obviously, I'm you know, it's going to happen because we're going to talk about him. Knowing Justin Fuente's personality, how many wanted to buy in to that as, you know, being, you know, the head coach? Like, he's the face of the program from a coaching side. How are we supposed to craft these deals when, you know, if he won't kind of maybe go to bat for his players and help them Yeah. So why are we going to go ahead and invest, you know, potentially millions of dollars in giving deals out when, like you guys have already mentioned, we don't know where who's going to be here. Let's just wait. If he has a great season, awesome. He's, right. he's going to be here, but they're going to come off a winning season. If he gets right. fired, hopefully we get somebody we can work with.
2: Right. Like how excited is Kevin Jones to launch an NIL venture with Justin Fuente as the head coach? I mean, only, <laughs> only Kevin Jones knows the answer to that. Right. But yeah, we could guess we, okay. we have a
1: good, we have, a good, guess. We have right. a good guess, but we have
2: a pretty good guess. I mean, look at how many players were in Blacksburg, former players, right. Were in Blacksburg for the spring game versus how many former players came around when Fuente was the coach. And, you know, we, we can all do the math here. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something to take into consideration. It's just like the persona of the two coaches and kind of where Virginia tech is from a public facing standpoint with their football program. Now with Brent pry versus where they were with Fuente and, you know, we'll have to see what the product's going to be on the field year over year and whether or not Pry can win enough games to stick around long-term. But as far as like the PR standpoint and, you know, facing with alumni and, and improving alumni relations, I mean, this is, this has been a home run higher from that standpoint so far.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, while we're on that point, let's go ahead and talk about some of the, the the player and the alumni stuff that was kind of going on over the weekend. Let's lead off with the, the monogram uh, club golf tournament in Roanoke. Um, some, some pretty big star power uh, turned out for that one.
2: It was crazy, man. It was crazy. To see all the, all the former players. He Shane Graham decked out in his like old school, like Payne Stewart golf his, attire. Yeah. <laughs> his knickers. It's crazy, man. It was, it was cool seeing all the pictures come out of that too, right? Like getting, you know, all these guys back into Blacksburg, you know, shout out Davon Morgan. I know he had a big hand in in all the events this weekend in Blacksburg, but again, like perfect, perfect example, like how much of this was going on during past spring games, right? And the last couple of years have been a wash, obviously with COVID, but even prior to that, we did not see this type of excitement around the football program, even when the wins were plenty, right? In the first couple of years of the Fuente regime. So Really, really cool um, to see the Monogram Club golf tournament. And by the way, really nice course there at Roanoke. Um, Had the pleasure of playing that um, in the past. Very, very nice course. Um, So a, a cool venue to get guys excited about getting back to Blacksburg, getting the alums all together, you know, on Friday, you know, before spring game and, you know, getting them back in the building, I think is really important and making them feel like, they're wanted around the program and, you know, for, for the players, former players to organize that too. Right. And alums to, by the way, like, like alums who are coaching elsewhere, you know what I mean? And, and they're, they're all coming into town and they're, they're, you know, like, Oh, they got NFL offseason programs starting, right. Like current players. Yep. Like we got, we got camp starting, you know, Mini camp starting next week. Now we're good. We're, we're going to Blacksburg this weekend. I mean, that's right. taking time, it, it, it says a lot right about kind of the, the attitude that these players have, you know, towards the program and the energy that that's around Blacksburg right now. It, it's very cool. Yeah, Absolutely. You had, you had
1: Davon Morgan putting this together um, while he's, you know, he's, he's coaching, coaching. over at uh, Henry, uh, Henry, Henry, Henry Henry. Yeah. 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 And yeah. he's doing that. You got Tyrod coming down um, on the heels of, of camp starting, I mean, there's, it's insane. The, the, the coordination and just the enthusiasm that yep. the former players are having since this regime has changed, it seems just like night and day. I don't know whether it is, I think there's a difference between we, we saying we want you here and then actively doing things to set, to try to get people here. And I feel right. like that that's the difference. Like I don't, you know, being iced out is one thing, but, you know when when you, when you feel like actively wanted like we're we're trying to get you here we want you here and we're we're expressing that actively uh, that that's what seems the difference to me it's not just like oh well if you come you come No, we're trying to get these guys here because it helps our brand it helps them it, it gives them a good time and it, and it gives us a way to to show what blacksburg's all about
0: absolutely in the other pieces the activity on social media with that golf tournament you had vt football some of the you know Some of obviously the videographers went out there with them. The players were posting pictures of each other, and you know also, and and it's like, well, what does that do? Well, these guys, you know, someone like Tyrod has a crazy amount of followers, and the kids out there start seeing this and start like, oh, I didn't know Cam Chancellor went to Virginia Tech. I didn't know the players went to Virginia Tech. It's 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 like brand building. It's like. It might, you know, is it going to be a decision, you know, the decision of why a kid comes to Tech? No. But it starts making kids realize that a lot of good NFL players have come through here, and now you're having this new regime who's really pushing, like being active on social media. And speaking of being active on social media, the spring jam Friday night, I mean, that looked like a lot of fun. And once again, same way, videographers there, pictures going Shout out Jordan Long. Shout out Jordan Long. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it was like, it was like the, everybody just got back together, didn't miss a beat. And it was, you know, all eras, right? It was all eras of hockey football. Even guys who were from the last team were there. The Beamer guys, the Dooley guys, on back through the seventies and the sixties. And, and, that 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 tells you something of the importance it is to those guys when they're not iced out and they're invited they're gonna come and they're gonna give a hand
2: yeah i mean again shout out to the former players right shout to billy ray pat grayson for you know connecting with those guys and you know helping sponsor that event Um, it looked unbelievable i was not in Blacksburg last weekend but from all the pictures and videos coming out of everything right it just seemed incredible um You know, and to have the form all these former players and the enthusiasm around the program. I mean, you thought there were a lot of former players at the golf tournament, there were even more at the spring jam, right? A lot of guys were getting into town Friday afternoon, didn't make it to the golf tournament, ended up at spring jam Friday night. You had people partying in Blacksburg until really late and taking pictures with fans, and you know, all the players being so hospitable with their time too. I mean, you got legends, right? People who are who have had really impressive careers or are having really impressive careers at the next level. Um, and, and, you know, guys, you know, in, in Dave Morgan's case, right. Guys who coach elsewhere that, you know, just want to be in Blacksburg around Virginia tech. Um, it's, it's really cool. And then, you know, to kind of go into, to, to go into Saturday and see the players taking pictures of the recruits and yep. you know, it goes to your point, Curtis, where it's like all these former players don't really necessarily remember that, you know, Rock Carmichael went to Virginia Tech and uh, that you got all these guys, Cam Chancellor and, you know, everybody knows Tyrod, but yeah. like just go down the list of all these guys who had really, really solid NFL careers. And they're like, man, I didn't realize he went there. Exactly. And you got all these, awesome. all these 17, 18 year olds who are in town over the weekend taking pictures with these NFL legends. And, you know, you think about the time frame when they were growing up, like, that's who these guys were, that's who these guys were watching on TV at the professional level, didn't even realize they went to Virginia Tech. So exactly, that part of it is definitely a big deal, for sure. And yeah, have Spring Jam and Monogram call up with the golf tournament and all that, I mean, it's a huge deal.
0: Well, and the big deal of having what the players committee was what Wyatt Teller, Shane, um, Chuck, and the Fullers talking to the recruits. Yeah. You look at that, Shane's the oldest, Shane's retired. Wyatt's one of the best guards in the league. Kendall's a, is a legitimate – him and his brother, both really good cornerbacks. Chuck's one of the better safeties in the league. And, again, it's that – it's the good idea is, like, let the people who played here sell the program.
2: Yeah. I mean
0: I – I don't know if it's a Brent Pry thing or just someone saying, why aren't these guys talking to these kids well, about
1: well, it? Well, we're taking the layups, finally. Like, the, the, these yes, are layups. These I'm are saying. things that are should have always been there.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like – why make things more difficult than you have to, right? Like, like Fuente, why aren't you saying what's up to the 99 team when they're in Blacksburg, you know, when you're playing Duke? <laughs> like, I, I understand what the – I know what the outcome of the game was. We don't need to get into that. But, like, again, <laughs> like, take the layups, right? Like, you got this team in town, the best team in Virginia Tech history. I it can be yeah, it could be argued with, with some of those late 2000s teams i know but the, the team that made it to the national championship game right yeah. and had vic and all these guys and they're in town and they're celebrating the 20th anniversary it's a layup, right like yeah. take the layups have your players your former players speak to what this program is because it's one thing to have a coach right or a coaching staff recruit a kid and be like hey come to my school they're getting that pitch from 20, if they're good, they're getting that pitch from 20 or 30 different schools, right? Yep. And they're, they're sifting through all these scholarship offers. And at some point, all the coaches, I feel like, blend in, unless you're like saving, right? All the coaches yeah. are blending in. Yeah. All, the, all these coaches, especially with some of the schools Virginia Tech is competing against for you know, a lot of these kids. You're going up against, you know, you're, you're still getting four-star kids, but you're going up against Penn State. You're going up against UNC, right? You're not necessarily yeah. going up against Bama, Clemson. Uh, Georgia like it's not necessarily those types of recruiting battles for Virginia Tech so you get a lot of these coaches that blend in man and why not just have these former players that can probably relate to these kids a bit more because they've been in their shoes before right versus the coaching staff that's saying come to my school come to my school come to my school they're hearing that all over the place they're hearing that all over the country so have your former players speak to what a special place Virginia Tech is and the fact that Fuente and his staff didn't take better advantage of that. It's baffling to me because <laughs> it's so easy to bring kids in and then have them stick around when they are speaking to people they can relate to. And yep. it's not even just like the coaching staff. I, I've heard the argument with like, oh, Fuentes from you know Oklahoma and Texas, he can't relate to Virginia kids. Yeah, that's that's true. But even beyond that, like he's not bringing people in who can relate to the kids he's recruiting. Yeah. Guys who have been there and done that with the program that can not only relate to what it's like to playing in Blacksburg, but are maybe from Virginia or from the nearby area and can talk about, oh, yeah, I went to Virginia Tech. This is what my experience was like. Yep. Fuente didn't have former players do some of the recruiting for him, and they're not on payroll. Like yeah. it's, it's easy. Just bring them into town and have, have the recruits in and have them have this experience where they can kind of see themselves in the shoes of these former players. Where it's like, oh, maybe my experience will be like that, too. And he just didn't take advantage of that. Prize been on campus, 20 minutes. I get Virginia Tech has one guy committed, right, in the 2023 class. I get that right now. And that's a concern that some fans have. that You know, more people haven't jumped in the boat yet. But if you look at just kind of the outside momentum that's around the program, the energy around the program right now, it's palpably different from what Virginia Tech had under Justin Fuente. It just is. And we won't see the fruits of that, I don't think, for a couple of years Mm -hmm. because they kind of came in late. You got to reestablish relationships and all that. But like you can feel the energy around the program right now. It's different. And Tech hasn't had this in a long, long time. Even going back to Beamer, they did not have this for a while. And so that's what's cool about kind of where things are at right now, even though we can all acknowledge like at least in 2022, like this fall is going to be a bit of a rebuild.
1: Yep. Oh yeah. It's it's, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle in the fall. I mean, I, I think favorably we have as easy of a schedule as, as we could potentially have for right. a first year head coach. Right. Um yes. based based on the overall caliber of opponent and the amount of travel they have to do, October's still gonna be a bitch because right. the way Always those is. teams are stacked. The way those teams are stacked in October, that's gonna be a bitch. But if you know if you can come out of that stretch, you know. 500 or close to it you feel pretty good that yeah. you're gonna you know at least make a bowl in year one um, yeah so you know we'll we'll see what happens in the fall obviously but th- that's going to be interesting but you know you talked about the vibes and the in the different uh feeling that we have you were you know, there so man. far since probably taking it but you let, you let's talk let's talk about Saturday so I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the vibes themselves yeah. man uh tailgating um it kind of felt like a like an early season, like non-conference FCS type game atmosphere. Like it was, it was almost like a, a fall atmosphere in the spring. And that, that was something that I haven't really experienced at a spring game of uh, the ones I've ever been to. Um, it, it was just a different vibe. It was uh, kind of those early season, you know, you, you have the hope still in, in the season. You haven't had a loss yet. You know, you got an opponent you feel like you're gonna, you know, beat up on a little bit, and there really wasn't the the negativity I feel like has been around, um, you know, the, the pregame atmosphere that that we felt before. You know, we went downtown a little bit. Um, you know, downtown's always fun, but it just there, there's there's just something different about the the energy right now. Um, I know I put it on. Uh, put it on Twitter. It feels like, you know, most of the fan base is finally rowing in the same direction.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I wasn't in Blacksburg last weekend, but it's it's not hard to go on social media anyway and get like the small sample size of the fan yeah. and just see that finally it feels like a lot of people are, are rowing in the same direction, man. The, the Fuente era was very polarizing because, you know, when Tech wasn't playing well, it was like, yeah, let's fire this guy. And I, I've written, you know, you guys know, I wrote several articles yes. about that. I'm like, you guys got to fire. him, got to fire. him. But every early part of the fall, you know, tech rattles off a big win. They, they beat a North Carolina. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I, ah, you guys are sucking me back in. Right. It was just like this polarizing thing. It's like every week I'm like, Oh my God, here we go again. Like, you're yeah, sucking me yeah. back in. Now we're beating Carolina. Carolina's a six-win team. We didn't know that at the, at the jump. We, at a, <laughs> no, we, we
1: we knew they were not going to be what they were ranked as, but we yeah. didn't know they were going to beat any bad. any other team.
2: Right. I mean, when when people are saying they're eleven or 12-1 team, they're playoff good. I'm like, what? What are we? No. What, what did we watch in twenty? In in twenty twenty? Right. Like, in, <laughs> what? What were we? What were we doing? I mean, this was. They went eight and four, and you know, losing a Virginia, a UVA, and they're losing a, floor, a bad Florida State team. I'm like, are we watching the same thing? Like, how are they a top five team in the country? You and know, they, and they lost
1: them. pretty much all of their offensive production, other than their quarterback. It made no sense.
2: Four <laughs> NFL
0: players. <laughs> you don't oh. lose four NFL players and are ten spots better than you were the previous year. You it just was.
2: It, it didn't make any. It, it made no yeah. sense to me. Like, yeah, they returned Howell, but. You got that's no skill position talent coming back. Anyway, the the, the, the thing that's, about that's it is the that, fuck
1: you NC section. Yeah, it.
2: Okay, yeah, I'm exactly. Here, not, right? We gotta we gotta slide that in there, right? Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, you can just see the the vibes are different with the fan base now, right? Like everybody's like, all right. Not sure if we want Brent Pry or not, right? This was like initially the day it happens, right? Everybody's like, "Oh, Brent Pry!" I thought we were getting Charles Huff. I thought, you know, I thought we were getting Matt Campbell. I thought we—it's like every 20 minutes I heard something different, and then Brent Pry kind of comes out of nowhere. And you know, early on, uh, Brent Pry was like a rumored candidate, right? Like very early on, you'd like have your list of like 10 or 15 guys. You're like yeah, Penn State's defensive coordinator. He's on there somewhere, but towards the bottom, right? And then you hear all these other guys, all these other guys. And then, lo and behold, like out of nowhere, okay, Brent is going to be the guy. And like Pete Pamel from Yahoo and now ESPN, he breaks it, right? And we're like, all right, Pete Pamel, once he says it, it's happening, right? And uh, he breaks it. And the the reaction from the fan base, much like the hire of Mike Young from basketball, it was mixed. Mm -hmm. It was like, first year head coach but you know he's he's done some good things as a mm-hmm. coordinator so and he's got Virginia Tech connections and oh we're getting back to our roots a little bit right yep. and that's what it felt like for me
0: well this this podcast will always stand up and say we called him a dark horse when we yeah, did the episode did. Back in November we we called him a dark horse you did then when you start reading more and more and knowing he was here during the foundation yeah in the mid 90s It like, that makes sense. And he's got the ties to Beamer. He's recruited the state of, he almost understands the footprint because of being at Penn state, they're a very footprint oriented recruiting territory.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like
0: Everything started stacking up and it was just like, this makes a, this makes a lot more sense now. But I think a lot of people thought because he had been a DC for so long with James, it was just kind of like,
2: he's, he's there. It was, it was, it's the, it's the Brent Venables argument. It's the Bud Foster argument. It's like, are these guys ever going to be a head coach anywhere? And then here he comes right here. He comes Mm -hmm. to Blacksburg and you knew like at the press conference that this was the right, the right hire for Virginia Tech right now, right? Regardless of whatever happens, right? Wins, losses, whatever. We needed a program reset. And regardless of how the tenure goes from like a wins and losses standpoint, I think we can all acknowledge that the culture that prize is going to instill at Virginia Tech is kind of back to our roots, right? Um, yeah. beca- because we just kind of lost our way a bit mm-hmm. with Fuente, certainly, yeah. right? And let's put it lightly. But I yeah. think we're kind of back to our roots and kind of what made Virginia Tech successful for the last like 25 years, you know, leading up to Fuente. It's like this is a hire that really kind of makes sense, understands Blacksburg, understands Virginia. It, it just feels like a more logical hire. Yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like the, the latter years of Beamer, in some ways, the culture that was built kind of got stale or neglected. And then when Fuente came in, nothing was ever established to really replace that.
2: It was a hard job, man. It, yeah. It's not like, I mean, people like to say, oh, yeah, you can't stepped into a perfect situation. I mean... Fuente, I'm, you know, I know some some fans, you know, p- people have thought they think I'm a Fuente apologist, but like he he did not come into a perfect situation. He made no. it look really good year one and even year two, quite frankly. Um, but it was not a perfect situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know Fuente had the, the dalliance with Baylor. Everybody talks about dalliance with Baylor, right? He's you know he's talking to Baylor and gonna leave. Um and Fuente had that press conference later on and he was like yeah you hired me you didn't hire me for the first few years you hired me for like right now right and he's talking about the actual rebuild that needed to take place and it never turned out well because he had no real plan it seemed like but yeah. he was right I mean he was correct like, yeah his and,
1: assessment was correct he just did not have the prescription
2: yeah right <laughs> like he's He's not he he's not a dumb he's not a dumb guy like I think no. people will be like yeah Fuentes an idiot I I think he's thrown into a situation with Virginia Tech that he was not ready for no and he was a fat he he rose fast right and uh, you know really good success as an offense coordinator you know strong couple years at Memphis and then he steps in and everybody's like yeah he's ready for a ready for P P5 role it's like. Man, we knew pretty quickly with the recruiting. It was like, man, this is not this is not Memphis. <laughs> like you got to no. recruit differently here. Well, well, the biggest issue
0: with him was it's like he came into a he did come into a good situation roster wise. We did oh, yes, 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 yes. But it felt like what he could not do and what separates P five from G five is usually when you start seeing guys bleep up, right? P P five coaches they don't last long. They're right. like gone you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's normally what happens. And the thing is we didn't see that. We didn't see the turnover we needed to see because normally there's a slight flaw. P5 coaches are narcissistic control egomaniacs. Mm -hmm. You're fired and you're fired. And they don't care. Um, But I also think for him was he he had a playbook laid in front of him. And instead of sitting there really – reviewing that playbook of what had happened the 20 years before. He's kind of glanced at it and threw it to the side.
2: I'm doing things my way. I'm doing things my thing, way no, so far.
0: Last piece com- compared this, but I'm going to get into one more piece and we're going to actually get to the spring game is I've, I've seen this set over and over. It seems like to that staff, maybe not to all of them, but to a lot of members of that staff, this was just a job mm-hmm. where this new staff, How they're recruiting, how they're getting out in the community, how they're showing it, how they're going down the cheetah wings down at PKs, how they're hitting, you know, different localities and how they're doing and making sure it's known. It's like you said with the culture. These guys say this is the culture. This is what we have to show. And that's why it's working. And they also just instilled, I think, something that should never change. The 3.2 run. Right. And literally, before the spring game, getting all the players to line up and basically give high fives to the people yeah. coming out of the top.
2: They get it, man. It's brilliant. You
0: you're going to have, have people who would never run that 3.2 miler next year say, I want to do that. That
2: looks really cool. Right. Right. No, I agree. It's – and yeah, I mean the the roster was really good for um, the roster was great for Fuente, right? You can't step into a bear situation roster wise, but he was, everything he was a quarterback
1: else... away from a great roster,
2: right? And, and he brought <laughs> and he brought he that one player in exactly, <laughs> and like everything everything else, it was like, man, we know those facilities need to be upgraded, but it's almost like Fuente it took him a few years, right? He was like, ah, man, maybe we don't have the best facilities on the planet, and you know, I. I, I've kind of maintained this this take that I have that Fuente fans are going to look back at the Fuente to Baylor thing, and a lot of fans, like in hindsight, were like, "Yeah, I wish he left." But in hindsight, I think a lot of fans are going to look at it and say, "You know what, Fuente interviewing with Baylor and then going back to with Babcock and saying this is what I need is going to be one of the greatest things that's ever yep. happened to Virginia Tech football." I am, I am. You can't talk me off of that take, like because. Immediately, they're like, "Oh, fundraising! Oh, we got the funds. Okay, now new locker room, new nutrition. Right? They're doing all this, all these upgrades, uh, new meeting rooms, everything. And now they're not hiding the meeting rooms anymore. Billy Ray's talked about that, right on on, on Saturday podcast. They're not hiding the meeting rooms anymore from recruits. Right? Yeah, <laughs> they bring them. We're not we're not embarrassed about our facilities anymore. Not that Virginia Tech had the worst facilities on the planet. They did. There there are way worse facilities in Virginia Tech oh, yeah. before the upgrades." but now everything's great right yep. everything looks really good and the locker room the weight room all that stuff's getting upgraded and you know you just see the you see the energy now right because now you got a new coach and you got all these facilities show off and you see the momentum and how much the coaches care right Curtis to your point yeah they care it's, it's a big deal man it it's, a, it's a huge deal for sure
1: yeah and I'll, I'll say this when you talk about the recruiting you know, it used to be on the those recruiting trips. You know, a lot a lot of things stayed behind a curtain, and then there was like, we'll show you here, show you here, but we're not going to go over here. That's right. not, that's that's not exactly putting us in the best light. So now it's like, you know, more or less, you can you can take the recruits everywhere. You show them the meeting rooms. You can show them yeah. the players lounge. I mean, the the locker room isn't so. The, the problem with the locker room is it's not that it's bad. It's just that compared to pretty much every other. <laughs> ACC and especially if you don't you're go ACC. ACC.
0: No, no, no. Don't go ACC. They're like – we're like ninth. There's are some pretty bad locker rooms. They're a the bad game. one, but I'm saying is is, is, is back nine where we want to be Eight in the ACC? They <laughs> top 35 team in the country. Like take right. top 35 teams in the country. And what's going to happen is we're about to get into the top 15 in the locker room business. Right. Very soon.
1: Again, right. I, I said, yeah, it's water slide money, not not cabana money, but not water cabana. slide's good enough.
2: That is, I think the, everybody is settle for the water slide. I
0: think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> water slide. All right. Well, let's get to the spring game. We have talked thirty minutes on the vibes and this how is what happens when I get on
2: here. I just run my mouth. That's what happens. <laughs> this is awesome.
0: <laughs> this is why we love having you on, Mike. But let's get to the spring game itself, and let's take a look at the teams. The white team was definitely missing some players. I don't doubt that one bit, but. I mean, the maroon team definitely had an advantage. I mean, they had the Sam, the Mike, and the Will starting linebackers, Armani, and Dorian, along with what Fuga, Fuga and Garbett. Yeah, Warwick. Fuga and Garbett. Yep. Brent Price said he didn't stack the teams. He stacked the teams.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you,
0: CJ McRae was also on the maroon team, and he's like the two deep.
2: I'll tell I'll tell you what I'll tell you what Pry did. Pry feels good about a lot of positions on this roster. And those positions were playing for the Maroon team. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's as it's as simple as that to me. And you have some outliers, right? With Pollard, for example, right? But like there are guys that he feels really, really good about players that he feels really really good about certain positions and he's like you know what i want to see what they look like i want to have 70 percent of my starters here 70 yeah. percent of my starters there yeah, um yeah. that's what was apparent to me right as i was kind of you know watching the game on saturday and just kind of taking a look at the rosters and trying to get myself up to speed as quickly as possible with who was playing where and for who and all you know because it's, it's hard on tv you it know um, all that it's going place- on but can we get an all twenty two doing these um, all twenty-two, the right?
1: all 22 <laughs> right. or even just tweet out the rosters uh, before the game starts right. so we can get like right
2: because a- we're basically uh, like oh I, I think that's Dewant Lofton, oh like, I think that's Jaden <laughs> Oh, So and, and then when you hear him make a player like, all right, confirmed. All right, I got that down. So you're just trying to uh, you're trying to figure things out, you know, on the fly. But um, yeah, that was my take that was my major takeaway. It's like I think Pry feels good about a handful of positions on the roster. I think obviously a linebacking core is one of them. I think you know the corn, his starting corners. I think he knows, regardless of what he says about quarterback. I think it's clear Wells is the guy, right? we'll get into that. But yeah, um, I, I think he feels pretty pretty good about where he's at with certain positions on the roster. And then I think there are other positions that he probably feels pretty good about that maybe I don't feel so good about. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we can talk about that too. But yeah, right, well, interesting.
0: We're gonna hit all the positions here tonight. Oh, yeah. And you already mentioned it. Let's start quarterbacks. Because we didn't name a starter, but I think from the look of it, Wells is firmly in control. Brown has a rough day, but it looked like with Wells, he felt comfortable out there making the passes. Um, He did almost throw a couple picks, but to me, Jason Brown is going to have to have a heroic fall camp to overtake Grant Wells. Do you all agree or disagree?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll say I was there. I I felt the same way. Um, I think Brown was a little bit hamstrung with the offensive line draw that he had. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, yeah. even when he had time, I don't know if it was just you know being antsy because of how little time he had on other plays. But he was, you know, a couple of overthrows here and there, even when he had had a little bit of time there. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Blue had one one drop of a, of a good scramble throw he had. Um, I think it was midway through the through the second quarter there. I could have extended a drive on a third down, but I mean overall, just you know, not not a great day for Brown, and I'd say a pretty pretty darn good day for Wells. Um, he had one throw to I forget who it was. It was a little bit behind, almost got picked off.
0: Uh, another one.
1: Jaden Blue, maybe?
0: No, no, no. Blue was on white.
2: Oh, Blue was on white. No, maybe it yeah. was. Um, might might have been might have been Lofton. Maybe that was Lofton. Yeah, I think, I think it was a little
1: behind him, and I think uh, yeah. Murray almost picked it off. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, other than that, I mean, he did a good job of it being in rhythm, throwing on time. Yeah. A um, couple good deep balls to uh, Caleb Smith, so not not a whole lot to critique, uh, you know, bad other than, like I said, be a little bit uh, more accurate on that, uh, that square end to – uh, loft in there <laughs> maybe maybe
2: a little more touch on some of his throws right I mean he did complete those two deep balls to Caleb Smith but I, I watched Grant Wells throw and I'm like man this guy loves to throw 90 miles per hour is like the, the vibe I got but you know Tech hasn't had a quarterback with a live arm like that in a while right I mean hooker hooker I guess but you know he kept getting banged up and then you know the offensive line was was up and down and you know he had some struggles there but yeah Grant, Grant Wells Was really really impressive, and you can just tell he's got he's got more natural talent than Jason Brown. I mean, Jason Brown's had a really nice college career, kind of where he's jumped around, had a nice career at Saint Francis, and then transfers, you know, down to South Carolina and plays well, and then you know ends up here back in Blacksburg at his dream school, right? This is kind of where he's always wanted to be, and kind of he's going to be able to wrap up his career whether he plays a lot or not. You know, he's going to end up in a place where he's always wanted to be. It's a really cool story. But you look at Grant Wells and what he was able to do at Marshall, and now you know transferring into Tech, and man, he's got he's got the skill, right? I mean, you see it—the ball jumps out of his hand. It doesn't jump out of Jason Brown's hand, right? That's just different, you know. And I agree, Brian. Like, definitely did not the offensive line did not do Jason Brown any favors, right? Definitely didn't. Um, I think he was seeing ghosts a bit there. Um, in parts of the second quarter, especially, he looked really, really uncomfortable back there. Yep. Um, and and like you said, you know, got happy feet, missed a couple throws they probably could have made or should have made if he's standing behind a more competent offensive line. But he was never really comfortable back there. And I put some of that on Jason Brown. I put a lot of it on the offensive line. I'm I'm trying to be cautious regarding kind of what we saw there last Saturday because. Yeah. You can only take so much of it with a grain of salt. You know, the fact that it's a scrimmage and the fact that, you know, you're, you're playing with a bunch of second and third string offensive linemen for most of the game, you know, that does play a factor, certainly for any quarterback. But Grant Wells looked really, really good. Um, you mentioned the two throws to Caleb Smith. I know we'll get into the receiving core here in a minute, but, you know, Caleb Smith just physically looks like a different football Boy, player, um, which – a welcome sight to Virginia Tech fans who, you know, Tech's looking for a, a true number one receiver now. But Tavion gone and, and Trey yeah. moving on and no James Mitchell. You know, they're looking for a number one target. And Taylor Smith's a good he candidate, man, if he, if he looks like that this fall and he can stay healthy. It's exactly. true. I'll tell you something
0: else I noticed, Um, and there's two things. First of all, both Brown and Wells showed some athletic ability when they pulled to run the ball. I know they weren't live. Right. But – if anything, they looked decisive. Like when they ran a read, they pulled and they took that step and went, Which, if you're not a four-five guy and you're four-six, four-seven, being decisive is going to help you get the extra yards. The other pieces, and this was for both of them, where they missed. When they missed throws, they missed correctly. Brian, me, and Brian talked about this a couple of days ago. The it was a slight overthrow, it was to the right side of the shoulder where the other where the, it could not be picked. I give Brad a ton of credit because we hadn't seen that in the last few years. We hadn't seen no, you need to throw the ball. Here's the angle you have to throw it at. Your guy can get it, they can and that's huge.
2: Um. Hey, Curtis, giving giving a guy named Brad a bunch of credit is something we have not been doing in Blacksburg the last few years, so we'll say that.
0: We'll we'll, we'll give
2: Brad uh, (laughs) a name that Brad, right?
0: Exactly. Um, Now the other pieces, let's talk a little bit about Taj and Devin. Um, You know, they both showed they are super athletic guys, both with some big runs. Devin 0 for 1 in passes. Um, Taj, I think 1 for 4 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, are we just gonna be these guys are probably gonna be battling in the fall and whoever's not the practice squad quarterback is probably gonna transfer outcome.
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe if we're maybe
0: Farrell hangs around and moves to the receiver or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think I think Tosh Bullock's in a spot where he could be looking elsewhere. Um I came from a really good program in Jersey, right? Like came from a really, really good high yeah. school football program. I mean, That's I don't exactly want to throw shade. T- Taj Bullock's an athletic kid, um, but he was raw coming in as a passer. He was the most athletic guy on the field in high school. His tape showed that. He was not the most proficient passer um, you know, on the field. They played a really good football program. So, you know, taking a chance on him, you know, especially in a class where, you know, you're hoping to have a guy like Demetrius Davis, right? And you're like, all right, we're moving on to Taj Bullock. It's like, all right, that's, that's not Demetrius Davis, but – you know, now he's playing what UTSA? I think. He got oh no no
0: no no no! South Alabama. He's in FCS now.
2: I just I saw something on Twitter. I saw something on Twitter yesterday about how he got like a UTSA crystal ball. I was like, huh? <laughs> like,
0: what? That was it. And then he committed to South Alabama.
1: That's wild. So
2: he he somehow outdid himself there. Um But I mean, going from point being, you're going from Davis to Bullock, right? And you know, Bullock's in this spot where you're like, all right, Tech needs to develop a young quarterback behind whoever ends up being the quarterback after all these transfers happen. is kind of where we were at at the time. And, you know, he comes in last year and when he didn't get playing time under Fuente in a lame duck year, when all your quarterbacks were bad, that's (laughs) when I knew I was like, man, Bullock really must not be ready. You know, that was the kind of the indication for me. And a lot of people were talking about, yeah, bring it, or, you know, throw him in the game. Let's see what he's got. Man, text quarterbacks that Fuente and company thought were capable. were not playing very well. And now you think a true freshman getting thrown into the fire when he's a raw passer, you think that's going to work too. And look, we weren't crazy, right? Cause now Brent pride comes in and he said right away, it's going to be a wide open quarterback competition. And before you know it, Bullock is buried on the depth chart. And it's like, all right, well, maybe this isn't going to work out here. So, yeah, what we'll see, right? We'll obviously see what happens. But, I mean, it's pretty clear who the one and two are going to be this year in whatever order they end up in. I think we think it's going to be Wells and then Brown. But, I mean, I think Bullock is is likely a transfer candidate.
1: Bullock's got a lot of time. He has less position flexibility. And he's going to at least be sitting behind the presumptive starter for three years. The, so. the
2: the less flexibility is a huge thing, right? Because Farrell, Farrell, I, I think is more of an athlete. You can kind of slide all over the place. Like if Bullock's not playing quarterback, I don't know where he's playing. So yeah let's move a of defense, maybe defense. Right. I don't know. Maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe. maybe. Hey, Ben Pro will move maybe. people like that at the at the whim of a hat. Right, so let's like, let's move him
1: place. Yeah, they. I, uh, think- I mean, he came and he said he thought he looked like a defensive end. Maybe he's moving a DN. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe nobody made the uh, elite academic uh, institution joke with the <laughs> stuff there, so. Missed
2: an opportunity. Sorry, Missed I just you know, I had to throw it in. I feel way. like it's played out now.
0: <laughs> right, let's flip, flip over to the running back room. Obviously, we did not have Malachi Thomas. He got banged last week in the blue jersey. Brian actually got to m- meet, son got a pitch with Malachi, Brian, tell him what tell tell him like what you felt like you saw from just being around him just for a couple minutes. I mean, he looks bigger than
1: he did last year. I mean, I know when he got in the games a lot last year, we like noted, okay, well, you know, he looks good running the ball, but he needs to get in the gym. Like, you know, skinny legs, a little bit, a little bit skinny arm. Looks like he's got a little bit more definition, a little bit more size on on him now. Um, hopefully, he can take a little bit more um, of those. You know carries in a game because he's probably going to be that guy that's going to get get you about 15 carries a game this year Um, you know looking at what they've done historically with uh, with games that Bowen has called you know he likes to get guys guys touches usually two to three guys are going to get over 10 carries but if we can get Malachi that 15 carrier uh, range every game and then have Holston or or somebody else getting uh, you know 10 or 12 a game that's probably going to be the way to go, but if he can get that fifteen uh, uh, carry a game for us, that's going to be huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, Malachi was so good last year, second half of the year, when the season's spiraling out of control, it was like, all right, man, this is the one bright spot, right? It's like, this is re- it's really cool to see him kind of develop, see a freshman get in and play significant snaps and be able to, you know, play as well as he did, but that was always a concern it was like man he's got to put some weight on and, and realistically he wasn't ready to play from like a, a build standpoint mm-hmm. right and yeah. that's really good to hear he's put on weight i mean i'm not surprised when looking at caleb smith and pads i'm like all right i think <laughs> these guys have been hit the weight room they look a little bit better yes, um but um yeah i mean tech in the running back room I, they got to figure things out here i mean i know you know brunson transferred out yesterday Yep. Yeah, I guess yesterday. Um,
0: Already at a Miami, Ohio. Already yeah, got a place. Yeah. Miami.
2: He announces he's transferring at like nine and then has his new school at 11. So I think that's been planned out for a little bit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's been in the works. That's There's a, a the reason way. he didn't get any carries on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get carries.
0: <laughs> Lee didn't get carries. Lee, you know, Lee was
1: on the field. He just didn't get any touches. Yeah.
0: So, it, I mean, yeah. Christian got minimal. I mean, it's, it's kind of the writings on the wall. With what's going on in the running back room. You know, Hampton got a couple good runs. Yeah, he had that one good run where he kind of
1: uh, broke it outside, got about yeah. 10 yeah. or 15 yards. Yep. Yeah.
0: And, and, but, but the way it's looking on in the fall with Malachi, you mentioned Holston, you know, Black and King have their roles, right? They both can catch the ball, they yeah. both have return ability. I mean, it, it, and you, it's kind of the writing on the wall, right? Who got carries? One's already out the door. One looks like he's in the doghouse. I mean, the question is, when do they go into the portal? Because, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they just want to stay here, unless they love the culture, which, you know.
2: I think what you're going to see, too, is – and we're already start, we've already started to see it with, you know, guys switching positions and, and Prime moving some guys around. And, you know, I think there's a decent chance you see – no pun intended, decent chance. You see chance like in a slot, you know, playing some receiver, which I mean, they were talking about that with Fuente, right. They were saying, okay, but you know, just looking at his high school film, it was like this guy can line up everywhere. And I think prize acknowledged that. And I I think they're going to try to get chance black and some different opportunities, um, you know, both at receiver running back, because I mean, I, I see what, I see what Fuente was doing, you know, getting 12 or 13 running backs, I, you know, like, step ahead of everybody else, you know, just get as many guys as you can. And then I <laughs>
1: figure it <Jesus>, out later, <laughs> yeah.
2: no idea what he was doing. Um, but now you're in a spot where you got to get the roster back down to, you know, a manner that makes sense. And yeah, I do think the writing's on the wall. Right. And I was really excited about Kenji Christian as a prospect, but I'm not sure he's going to be playing football in Blacksburg, you know? Um Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I I do think the writing's on the wall. I mean, I think Holston sticking around, you know, throws a wrench into Kenji Christian's snaps, I think, a little bit. Because now you don't have, like, that big body back um, that, that, you know, can step in, right? And you're like, all right, that may be a natural fit for Kenji Christian. Now Holston's back and Keyshawn King that everybody thought was going to transfer out when – you know, all the roster attrition when, when pride came in and King stuck around. Okay. So now it's like, all right, we know King has talent. If the coaching staff likes him, he'll figure it out. And then you got Malachi Thomas. We saw what he did in in limited snaps. And then you have chance black, you have Bryce Duke, obviously that the coaching staff's really, really excited about, you know, they've they've been talking about him at length in the off season. Um, So there are certainly some guys that are going to have some opportunities here and, I think the guys who got carries on Saturday and the guys who stuck around in the recruiting class with Brent Pry and stayed in the boat, like those are the guys in the running back room who are going to have, you know, maybe a little bit higher priority, you know, for the staff than some of these other guys that maybe we were excited about, like Kenji Christian or Marco Lee, right. Or or a Brunson or Hampton. Like, I think that's kind of where, where we're going to be at here.
1: Yeah. And I mean, when we look at the, the combination of, of Thomas Christian and black. I mean, you saw the, the thought process at least in, in bringing those three guys in, in one class. Cause they yeah. really kind of, you know, Thomas, the more all around back Kenji kind of the, 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 between the tackles um, specialist. And then you had chance black and kind of do a little bit of everything, um, and especially help you in the passing game. You know, there was at least a thought process there with these, these three could be kind of that three headed monster in two to three years. But yeah, with where we are, I think in the process, and as you said, with Holston coming back, I think that kind of threw a wrench in where Christian is. You know, on top of whatever else, you know, you know, maybe behind um, him not getting as many as many touches and, and kind of falling behind in the depth chart there. Um, but it's going to be interesting because we have, I think Hampton might be the the the, the one that sticks around um, of the that twenty and twenty one class uh, group of running backs. Um, he seemed like he was comfortable in in what the offense was doing um and if he's willing to to bide his time a little bit you know there might be a role for him in a year or two
2: yeah i mean i, I think when you know you see a holston you know leave you see you know maybe a, a chance black move to receiver you know then all of a sudden you're before you know it you're on like the two or three deep and if you're on the three deep like you mentioned brian earlier if you're on a three deep and running back for tyler Brown's offense you're getting snaps like, you're playing. So, um, really, I, I mean, I don't think any of these guys realistically are looking at it as like, oh, I'm the starting running back because Bowen's going to use all of them. And yep. if you're if you're in the two or three deep, you know, you're you're going to have a real opportunity to go on the field. Absolutely.
0: Now, as many questions as we have about the running back room and, you know, people not playing, who's leaving, who's not, I think Saturday the wide receiver room – kind of came to light. We saw, you know, Caleb Smith obviously have a great game. Like you said, he's looks physically more impressive. Jaden Blue had a drop. Again, a little hindered probably by, you know, the offensive line. But I know Brian mentioned just watching him run routes. His routes are solid. They're crisp. I mean, he was open a few
1: times, just there wasn't time to get It He wasn't there. Um, He still made a couple couple catches in the game. So, I mean, played well, just – You know, not not as many opportunities I think we wanted to give him.
0: Obviously, Dwayne Lofton, that shocked me. And Brian, that catch he made was out of Y. That was not a slot catch that he made, that big one. Which, you know, they've been mentioning, they've been moving him around. Seeing him play that, he's going to get on the field more. And then the last two, Jalen Jones out of Richmond here with the big catch. And then Brian again, Brian loves Dallin Wright. Brian's loved Dallin Wright since the first time he looked at his tape. He focused on him Saturday, similar to Blue, right? Similar to Blue, looked good in his routes. Was missed yeah. a few times. He was open, He was
1: wide open a couple times. Just there were overthrows. Um, he did have, I think, what one or two catches on the day. So, um, yeah. Dalen Wright.
2: Dallin Wright's a damn white whale. Like he's on the roster, but does he really exist? Right? He's, <laughs> he's around there somewhere. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with the assessment. To be honest with you guys, like. I was so amped to see Lofton and Jalen Jones go on the field last year. And then all of a sudden, like, here comes Lofton, getting a little bit more playing time. And then towards the end of the year, it was like, oh, Jones, we're really excited about Jalen Jones. That's all, you know, the staff talked about. Then Jones pulled a hamstring or whatever it was. He was out a little while. And then didn't really get on the field till later in the year. Uh-huh. But not obviously his many meaningful snaps as Lofton. But I think now you look at, you know, those two in particular – And that's the future of the wide receiver position at Virginia Tech. And they're going to be playing significant snaps this fall. And that's really exciting, I think, for Virginia Tech fans because, you know, we talk about Caleb Smith and how how good he's looked physically. And I think, you know, obviously he's going to have a major role. You know, we can talk about Jaden Blue, but he's a grad transfer, right? But when you're talking about the true, like, future of the position, it's Lofton and Jones. And it's been Lofton and Jones. And I think to see them – you know, have an opportunity this fall to blossom into a bigger role as Virginia Tech kind of moves forward and the roster continues to improve. I, I think a few years from now when these guys are seniors, you know, there's going to be a real opportunity for them to be part of a really, really good offense at Virginia Tech and for them to be kind of the focal points of that. So we're going to have an opportunity here, you know, both last year and kind of slam lame duck year. And then like during this rebuild here where we're going to see, you know, some young guys really start to blossom and turn into, like, really, really good four-year players for Virginia Tech as long as they stick around.
1: Yeah, I was really excited to see Jones show out. He, he had, yeah. had uh, that big juke on Connor where he was able to take that that quick hitter and get about 15 yards out of it, had one other good catch. I mean, there was a lot of promise from the young guys, um, and, and that definitely bodes well for the – like, as you said, for the future, not just looking at 2022. So yeah, um that was big. Uh, seeing what at least a little bit of what Connor Blumrick's role might be in this offense. Um,
2: very vanilla on Saturday, yeah. very yeah. vanilla. They're hiding him.
1: Yeah, they're, they're like just, a, you know, a couple quick hitters, just getting getting the ball to him out of the backfield. Nothing really to show yet. But I am
2: so excited he, to see they him line, play they, ball. they lined
1: him up everywhere though. So I think, you know, yeah. once they actually make him a focal point, I think that'll, you'll, we'll see what, what he can do in that. Um, What'd you think about the tight ends? We didn't really see a a lot of different looks with them uh, in terms of getting them the ball, but
2: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to go from like the excitement of having James Mitchell being your starting tight end and then being like, Nick Gallo's always been that guy who it's like, Oh yeah, I remember he's on the team. He makes like one big catch. You're like, yeah, hell yeah. Nick Gallo. We got, we got two really good tight ends. Yeah. You're just like trying to talk yourself into it. And um, it's cool though, right? Because you see, you know, you see Gallo playing like significant snaps. You see him like getting these awards from the coaches and talking about how good of a spring he's had. Tech's going to need somebody in that tight end room to step up. Like Gallo's the most logical guy, right? And um, because everybody talks about, oh, what's Connor Blumrick's position going to be? It's Connor Blumrick's going to be Connor (laughs) Blumrick. He's going to be O.W. Right. He's an O.W. He has an offensive weapon that is, like Brian said,
0: everywhere. He's yeah. going to be everywhere on the field. And that's that's good for, it's good for Gallo. Right. That's good for all the wide receivers. It's good for the running backs that every week with Blumrick going out there, teams are going to have to find him. Because if you put the wrong guy on bloomrick and get him the ball quick, like if you put the wrong linebacker, he can make him miss and get down the field. If you put a corner on him, and that corner can't make a sure tackle. He's going to put him in the dirt because of having the size advantage. Yeah. So he's going to help everybody in the long run.
2: Yeah, I know David Cunningham. I, first of all, he did a great job with you guys a couple of weeks back. Um, that did. podcast was incredible. But um, he was he was tweeting out some some news and notes and was taking some pictures and video from a few of text practices and talking about how good Connor Blumberg looked at receiver. That's yes. like – he, you know, you got these guys who are like seasoned receivers who have, you know, like Caleb Smith, who, you know, doesn't drop anything really for being honest, right? Catches everything. Um, and, you know, you're watching these guys in line. And for these reporters to be talking about Connor Blumerick and saying he looks like any of the other receivers when in reality, he was just playing quarterback all last year and was playing like H back essentially at AM after oh, yeah. Kellen Mond beat him out. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's encouraging it's like yeah. we and and the way i look that's, at Blumberg's that's another
1: weapon, offensive weapon that we didn't have last year <laughs> right
2: I, I mean that's 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 the way i look at it i mean we we saw in the bowl game you know one one of the few bright spots of connor blumberg in the bowl game is like we at least saw his athletic ability a little bit it mm-hmm, was <laughs> like yeah. nothing's really going well but you know he's athletic and he tries hard right? Yeah. and um I, I see him as more of, like, a utility guy in baseball where he's playing, like, five or six days a week. And, yeah. you know, he's kind of just giving everybody else a break. Like, that's kind of how I see Connor Blumick's role. Like, he's going to be on the field a ton. And yep. one snap, he's going to be lined up at outside receiver. And, you know, Caleb Smith's going to be off the field. And then another snap, he's going to be in the slot. And, like, is going to be off the field. And, like, I can see him jumping around. Maybe he's lined up in the backfield. Like, Bowen's going to line him up all over the place. Oh, yeah. And I think he's going to yeah. give everybody a break. He's what he gonna does well,
1: it's it's going to be so good because it's going to give us uh, that formation flexibility in like the hurry up no huddle situations because right. you can you can do a lot of different things with Connor Blumberg on the field because you can have him slot. you can split him out, he can be the middle guy in trips, he can be in line, he can be tight end wing, he can he can really do all those things and even line up outside and you don't have a yeah. sub. You can just keep going, keep going. If you if you got the defense on the ropes, just keep pushing it and still give I, them a lot of different looks.
2: And, like, I think in theory, like, Fuente's staff wanted James Mitchell to be that guy, and they wanted, like, Dalton Keane to be that guy, and they, they like, wanted these guys kind of line up everywhere. They, they wanted – they really, really wanted Raheem Blacktree to be that guy, and then, you know, either he didn't stay healthy or they just didn't utilize him like they should, right? And – I think Blummer really has an opportunity because of his unique size and speed and athleticism. I just think it's kind of like a different mold where he really can line up anywhere.
0: He really can. All right. Somewhere he can't line up is the offensive line. And Brian, uh, this is your baby. We're an offensive line (laughs) podcast. I'm going to let you uh, tell me what you saw out there Saturday, actually in person, which I know – as we know, being that close to the field as you were, you get to see certain things you can't see on TV.
1: Yeah, and I mean, being an offensive lineman, when I was watching the game live, I was mostly paying attention to the offensive line um, when I was watching it live the first time. So that's just that's just who I am. Um, I thought the four starters, like the presumptive starters, the presumptive first team that actually played since uh, Clements wasn't out there, um, he was banged up. I thought they looked fine. Um, I think uh probably the, the weakest would have been uh Jesse Hansen. I mean he had some some good plays, some bad plays, but I think overall the guys that we think are gonna be that front line had a pretty good spring game. Um I think the problem is that we have seen that based on the performance, especially on the white side, that you know, we, we don't I don't I'm not sure we've got more than five or six guys that we can count on at this point. And I think that's where we're going to run into some problems. I will say of the non presumptive starters, I thought Jack Hollyfield looked pretty good at, at guard.
2: Damn encouraging <laughs> sign. Like that's encouraging. That was a position switch, right? At least coming out of high school, we're like, where is he actually, it wasn't like formally a pride position switch, but like coming out of high school, we were like, all right, Jack, where are you playing? <laughs> you yeah. playing tight end, <laughs> you playing off it's long. What are you doing? Um, Offensive lines a huge concern for me, guys. Huge concern, um, it is. and we'll talk about defensive line in a bit. But I'm worried about us in the trenches, and I'm not talking about the starters. <laughs> I'm talking mm-hmm. about the, t- talking about kind of the rotation, and you know, you get three or four games into into the season, you got guys banged up, and who you turn into, like yeah, that's my yeah. that's my concern. And there's
0: there's, there's and no mostly
2: one. at tackle. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And, and Brian, I know you've talked about this at length on this podcast, but you, know, you, can, you can cover up some stuff on the interior offensive line. You can't cover up offensive tackle when they're out on an island. It's just really, especially left tackle with, with the quarterbacks we have in this offense. And it's going to be a concern. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, yeah, you
1: can help out a right tackle from time to time with scheme and things like that. Right. Le- left, tackle left tackle is going to be hard to cover. And right now we have two that I feel okay about
2: yeah and behind uh, a,
1: that is gonna be rough
2: it's concern yeah it's definitely a concern i mean it was offensive line was concerned going to last year too a bit and i mean the the way i look at this is that you know there is a portal out there there <laughs> maybe is we can maybe we can find a guy or two you know to come in that we know has played you know meaningful snaps elsewhere like last year johnny jordan was that guy who yeah. You know, we knew if Brock Hoffman went down, maybe Johnny Jordan could could step in and, and play because he was a All-Big Ten honorable mention at Maryland. And we're like, all right, you can step in and play. I thought he would get more snaps than he did last year. Um, but maybe we can go find a guy like that in the portal, you know, this summer. I, I think that's especially a tackle. Like, that's somewhere where I think Brent Pry and his staff really need to hit hard because there's nothing I really saw out of the white team on the offensive line that really gave me a whole lot of confidence that and, um, we're going to be in a decent spot. Um, yeah.
0: The only thing is Brian mentioned to me the other day, he thought shit could probably kick in and be solid at guard, but we are definitely going to be, we have to go after the portal with a tackle. I mean, it, they have to attack it. They have to hopefully, the hope is you find someone that's a sophomore or Richard sophomore and come in to get multiple years, um, of eligibility. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I
1: mean, I think the the thing you really yeah. want, you, you either get – you want to get a guy that you can either plug and play in the starting lineup or you want to get a guy that can at least be that solid backup, whether it's on the left side or the right side. Or, like I said, if you're able to you get a front-line guy, you can do one of two things. You can either have Clements be – you kind of groom him to be the left tackle and waiting for next year. Or you can go ahead and plug whoever that addition is at left tackle and, sl- and slide Silas down to guard, which gives you a little bit of a you know, stronger line across the board.
2: Well, I think I think a lot of us thought last year, like that's where the Johnny Jordan example comes in, right? Because I think a lot of us thought last year, okay, we're bringing in an all-Big Ten honorable mention offensive lineman. Naturally, he's going to come in because Christian Darius all left, right? He went to the NFL. We all thought, okay, naturally – Johnny Jordan's going to come in and Brock is going to bump to guard. And now all of a sudden we feel pretty good about where things are at on the offensive line. We'll, we'll try to cover up right tackle. You know, that was kind of what we were talking about after flipping to new to the yeah. left. Definitely. And it didn't really pan out that way. Right. Cause no. Caden Moore developed into a really nice player, which I mean, yeah. we're all happy about that now because yes, he's got a full year of experience and he's yep. going to step in. And, and I think we all have pretty high expectations yeah. for him, you know, going yeah. into, going into this year. But I, I agree, like, finding a guy like that who could step in, be a starter right away, you know, you, pl- you can pl- plug and play, right, who, who comes in from a, another program where it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a P5. It could be a G5 program. That's fine. But just find somebody with meaningful, who's had meaningful snaps and has played, you know, good football somewhere. I think that's really important for this roster. It would be great if it was a tackle because I am yes. concerned about offensive tackle. But that's my uh, – that, that's my biggest area of concern is this offensive line, without a doubt, on the entire roster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I put it as the number one concern. Yeah. All right. Before we get into the defensive side of the ball, guys, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners.
1: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
0: All right, back to the defensive side of the ball here. And let's start with the linebacker unit. And I told Brian this, uh, I think I texted you Sunday, Brian. That unit looks the best across the board. I am I mean, starters, two deep, even some of the, the three deep guys look legit. And we all thought about Sam. Oh, man, we're all worried about Sam. Keonta Jenkins is going to be a hell of a Sam this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, out the gate, he looked pretty good. Um, he was making some plays. Uh, we saw Kelly Lawson get in there and, and play well as at that position as well as and, did Jr. I, yeah, and and as you said, the the unit looked good across the board. Um, I think we have you know legitimately a, a, a solid two deep there. When you have you know Dax and Tiz coming off the field, you, you're not as worried as you were maybe last year at this mm-hmm. time, especially uh, at the backer position. Um, and you know, artists looked well again you know, hopefully, you know, Coach Price talked about his, you know, becoming more of a vocal leader on that defense. If that comes along and you've got, you know, two legitimate um, leaders like Dax and and Keyshawn on that defense, that's going to be big for that unit. And they look better. Like the coaching is obvious. Like there, there wasn't at times last year and even the year before that, sometimes our linebackers looked lost. And I know they were going against a vanilla game plan and all that, but I don't—I didn't see a time where our linebackers looked lost in this one.
0: Mm-mm.
2: I mean, this is what happens when you get a defensive coordinator, and we all love Justin Hamilton, right? I don't want to slander Justin Hamilton. Great guy, always really nice to me. No slander for Justin Hamilton allowed here with that being said. This is what happens when you have a defensively-minded head coach who's been a major P5 defensive coordinator somewhere else and knows what it's supposed to look like. Justin Hamilton did an article with Mike Barber with the Richmond Times Dispatch, and great article. Go check it out. One of the things he said was that when he came into Virginia Tech and he started ascending into his role, the one thing he knew is that he didn't know how other P5s were being run. He said that in that article with Mike Barber in that interview. right? So this is what we're seeing on the field now. In the spring, we're seeing guys being utilized in positions they were not necessarily being utilized in a year ago. You're seeing guys more comfortable in their role, and it's only the spring. Like, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Like, they're moving guys around, position changes. You got guys moving on the in- interior defensive line. You have Gunnar Givens playing defensive tackle. You got all these linebackers. Now we got two or three deep at, at positions that we were a little bit concerned about maybe before. And like you mentioned, Brian. Virginia Tech's in a position now where you're not feeling quite as bad if a Dax Hall Field comes off the field, right? Um, Or an Alan Tisdale comes off the field. Like, all of a sudden, we're like, all right, you know, I think we're okay with the guys we have in there right now. We didn't feel that way last year, right? And you're in a spot now where I think guys and their talents and their skill sets are going to be better utilized. And that's just the beauty of having a guy who's kind of been there and done that in a major P5 program. Because Chris is going to come in, right? And he's the defensive coordinator, this is Brent Pry's defense for the first few years. Like, we yeah. all kind of know what that is. And yep. that's why I really like the Chris Marv hire because you bring him in, have him recruit, have him get comfortable. He's played for Pry, he's coached under Pry, he knows the scheme. And now he gets to be groomed with Pry as the head coach. Like, this is a perfect scenario for all involved. And I think the defensive players and kind of their new positions, I think they're really going to benefit from that
1: yeah i mean like as you said they get to bring bring marv along um and in the meantime you know by all accounts one of the better position coaches in terms of just technique and yeah and and coaching the position so um i think we're go go ahead
0: what you mentioned about p5 i mean marv has seen now vanderbilt he's seen mississippi state and he's seen fsu and he's about six or seven years younger than Justin Hamilton. So when you say Ham mentioned, I'd never seen a P5 program. This is a guy that's seen multiple and he's only been a coach about six years. So that room, I think if you asked me, I think I feel that's the room I would say I have no worries about anywhere. Um, And and I'll tell you another room I feel pretty good about, even with the guy transitioning is the safety room. Um, You know, Chamari, there was some growing pain Saturday, right? I don't think any of us will disagree with that. But just looking, I feel like he looked more natural. That's my opinion. I feel like he looked more natural playing back at the free safety, field safety, whatever you want to call it, spot than he ever did at Nickel.
2: You're, you're not on an island as much. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's as simple as that with, with Shamari Connor. I mean, Jamari Conner's got a lot of Dietrich Bonner in him where it's like, man, oh, man, I love when he comes downhill and he's in the he's playing in the box. And, you know, I, I love the way he attacks running backs and receivers like in the open field after the catch. I don't love him in coverage. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you feel now you feel a little bit better about him in coverage when he's playing free safety versus the nickel where he's on island all the time. We're all worried about his, you know, his you know, his ability and coverage, which was, you know, the real concern I think going into last year. And he ended up actually playing, I think, a lot better than a lot of us thought um, a year ago. But, you know, like we've talked about before, the concern with Jamari Connor has always been, how good is this guy going to be in pass coverage? And I think he's in a position now where, you know, yes, he's still going to have to continue to improve in that category, but it doesn't have to be perfect anymore.
1: Yeah, I think I mean he still has struggled here and there with missed tackles, and and that's probably going to be something that he struggles with probably the rest of his career. And it, I mean, at this point, if if that hasn't been cleaned up, um, you know, I don't know if it will. But I think that from the safety position, it's it fits his skill set better, and he's not going to have those as many of those uh, times where he has to be wide open in the open field against, um, you know, a Dayami Brown or someone like that, where, you know, he's trying to try to make that type of play. Um, like I said, but I'm, I'm hoping that some of those, uh, those tackling issues get cleaned up. We'll see if, if, if that comes to fruition, but Curtis, what you gonna say? You look like you got something you want to say on this one.
0: I, I'm just laughing here about the Dietrich Bonner thing. I mean, if we would go back to thinking about Dietrich, when Dietrich came downhill to make – he was good. When you asked him to do other things, he was very scary. So I'm, that's what I'm laughing about. All right, I'm going to ask you all, before we get into any analysts or analytical pieces, boundary safety, Hawker Peoples, Brian, Hawker Peoples, I'm gonna stick with people's i, I i'm I'm
2: gonna, go with, consi- I'm gonna go with the
0: consist
2: i'm gonna go with consistency
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> that's no I mean that's my answer too it's really? people's man it look people's has been on the field more for a reason right and it's been the consistency that he brings whether he's you know a spot starter or into two deep which is he's been a two deep player pretty much his whole career it's a consistency and I think with with Hawkins I think you're gonna get more of like the the boomer bust like oh my god like. That was great. Not sure Peoples makes that play, right? But at the same yeah. time, you're be like, oh, my God, I know for a fact Peoples makes that play. How did you <laughs> miss that <battle?" laughs> Right. So I think the answer is Peoples. I, I think Pry is going to go with, like, the proven guy in year one. I, I just – that's my feeling. I have Do, on
0: it. do you do all think it's a camp battle, or is it one of these where Peoples is the starter, but there's going to be times Hawk just gives them a breather where maybe Hawk's getting 15 a game out there?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's it's going to still be a, a. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, go 50 50 on, on reps here, but I think in terms of snaps, I think you'll probably see, um, you know, Hawks still
2: probably pull about, you know, 30% of the snaps in a given yeah. game. Okay. Yeah. I think they're both going to play. I agree. Um, I mean, I, I think push comes to shove. Like, if, if you need one guy on the field, I think it's going to be people's, but. You know, I think they're both going to get some snaps. I mean, I think it'll be a camp battle for sure. Um, My pick would be Peoples. And then I think Hawkins will get some snaps for sure. I think he'll play.
0: Mm -hmm. Again, I think we probably feel pretty good about the safety room. I know Jalen Stroman, you know, won the special team award. So he's obviously making strides and becoming part of the two deep there. Um, But I think I look next year – I think if this is just this is projecting a year from now we're talking. I think if people shows enough consistency, I think they're gonna probably just simply move people back. If he can if he continues to build and shows consistency that he can do what they or they trust him doing what they do at boundary, they're just gonna say, we're gonna sit you back. We know Hawk can play here, we know we have to clean it up. But playing boundary, little you make a mistake at boundary, it's not a big a deal because there are more guys around you. I think that's what they're aiming towards. All right, let's flip the corners. Um, we hadn't heard Armani Chapman's name a lot until last week, but I think Saturday him and Dorian Strong put their stamp that they are the top two corners at Virginia Tech this fall.
2: Yeah, I mean, no question. I think Dorian Strong needs to come out of that sophomore slump, though. Right? Oh, of like, course. Yeah. Um, but I mean, those are the guys. Those are the, those are the guys. I mean, I think that was kind of etched in stone when we realized Waller wasn't coming back. You know, I think that was it was pretty much said that it was going to be Chapman and Strong. It was a natural fit. Um, I mean, Dorian Strong made so many great plays as a freshman, and then you saw him take some more chances last year, and I, I think that that bit him a little bit. Really good player. Um, you feel comfortable with Chapman? He's been around forever, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you, you want to talk about, you know, consistency of peoples and being like, yeah, he's been on the field more. He's got more experience. I mean, you're not going to find short of Chamari Connor and Dax Hollowfield like you're not going to find many guys with the an anti garbutt. I guess you're not going to find many guys with the experience. Of Chapman, like he's just he's been around forever. So this is kind of his his moment to step into a more permanent role, be less of a rotational piece of corner um and get in and kinda kinda prove that he can be that guy, right? He can be a number one or a number, however, one, one A, two, whatever. Like he can be one of the top corners on the roster. And we've seen him as a guy with potential for years. And when he's played, he's been pretty decent. And now he's got a really big role. So yeah. Like, let's see what let's see what that looks like with more snaps.
1: Yeah. I mean it's gonna be interesting to see if he steps in as kind of that that alpha dog uh in the cornerback room because um, yeah, I feel like there's kind of a void there with Waller gone. I mean, Armani's definitely the uh, the elder statesman in terms of you know being on the roster for 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 this long, and you know just on on top of uh, the number of reps he's had and and snaps he's played in in games. So, um, yeah, I was a little disappointed uh, in Brian Murray's performance in the spring game. I thought yeah. I thought he was very very up and down. Um, yeah. He made a couple couple good plays on balls, but he you know he got beat. Uh, both on, on both of the deep balls to to Smith, um, one I think was looked like was man the first one, um, and then the second yeah. was a, a cover six, um, and he had the half field and just gave up too much depth too early, and Caleb beat him over the top. And I will props to uh, to Smith and to Wells on that though because it was a skinny post. Smith kind of bent it back, made sure he stayed to the right of the right hash. Wells put it right where it needed to be, so Connor couldn't come over. So that was a good play overall, but. Murray definitely the most inconsistent of the kind of the big three that we're expecting for that rotation.
2: It's a bummer with Murray too. You want to talk about guys who have stepped in, think about the bowl game a few years ago and how well he played. And like, it felt like every time he stepped in when, you know, somebody was hurt or, you know, somebody was out a few snaps or whatever, it felt like every time Murray stepped in, he was making a play. And, you know, last year didn't play a ton. I know 20 was all screwed up because of, because of COVID. You know, but um, man, Murray's another guy who's been around forever, and I expected a better. Prefer- it, it's it's one day. It's I, I don't want take take too much out of a scrimmage. Yeah. My takeaway was exactly the same, Brian. Like Murray's been around forever now. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta make start making start making some plays, or at least you know, like you like you mentioned on that cover six play, they got burned um, by Caleb Smith. Like a veteran should not be making that type of mistake against Caleb Smith, who's Who's fast but not a burner, right? <laughs> like you can't be making those types of mistakes even in a scrimmage. So it, it's killer. It, yeah. It's
0: inconsistency. It's being here three years and still making the same mistakes you did when you stepped foot on campus. Right. Where Armani Chapman, give that guy credit. Brian Brian praised of how consistent he was. He like consistent every single play on Saturday. And, and that's what you're looking for in the cornerback position. If you're consistent, you're you're gonna get beat. You're gonna have guys catch balls. But if you're consistent, you know, you know, six out of ten times, they're not gonna be thinking about coming to you because they know you're. He's in good technique. He's on the right side of the shoulder. It's gonna be tough to get the pass in there. Um, we 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 hit DJ Harvey. He got praised about how he's looked at the nickel. Um, You know, we've been mentioning, is he big enough to go play the outsides? And maybe that's why they're just talking about him being at nickel. Um, I think between this or safety, I think this is a room, and Prime mentioned it, this is a room we go after. Um, I think having Breon being older is definitely a good sell to someone with two to three years of eligibility left. Like He's saying, our three's gone. If you come here, you have that potential. Heck, if you you might have that potential this year if you can go beat him out.
2: Yeah, like our our three is gone, and then like even you know projecting for, like you mentioned, guys guys with a couple of years eligibility left. Like Chapman's not going to be here too much longer, right? So yeah. you look start looking kind of across the room. You know, Dorian Strong has a has a really good year, and you just say, yeah, two out of three years that was really good. Had like one one year where I took a step back. I mean you're basically like running opposite of Caleb Farley, right? Where Farley had a really, he had a one really good game when he was a freshman outside of that he wasn't very good. And then, you know, he has a really good sophomore year. And he's like, all right, I'm sitting out the COVID year. And then he gets drafted really high. Yeah. You know, strong is a kid with a good, you know, good size and he can really run and we've seen his ability and coverage. If he puts together a good year, does he make a job? You know, the answer is probably not, but I mean, I think you could sell it certainly if you're if you're out there recruiting the portal.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think you know as you said, I think there's definitely some potential to get one, at least one, maybe maybe two in the in the secondary altogether. I, I don't know if you want to get a fifth um, safety that you you know feel like can be counted on for significant snaps, um, you know, behind the four we mentioned. Um, but I think corner is definitely the more likely spot because you really do need a fourth that you can trust playing outside. And again, you talk about the sell. It's definitely a sell because, you know, Murray's probably not going to be here after this year. Potentially Chapman's is not going to be here after this year. And then even the potential with Strong, depending on, you know, what output he puts this year. So it's it's going to be interesting to see um, who we target and and how many we end up grabbing.
0: Absolutely. All right, guys, let's hit the last position group and probably the number two position group we're all worried about, and that's defensive line. Um, The guys we know, did they did fine. But I tell you, after that, after, like, McCray, Pollard, Garbutt, Fuga, I mean,
2: it was ugly. I'm patiently waiting for – more quote more Cole Nelson and patiently waiting for more stretch Carroll, right? Um Well Cole was like
0: hurt, right. so we did right.
2: not get to see him. Right. But this fall though, like projecting forward to the fall, okay. like that's what I'm that's what I'm patiently waiting for, right? It's like those guys to emerge. And I know Cole was hurt. Staff's been talking really highly of him, right? Talking about, you know, what kind of player he can be and one yeah. staff was high on him too. I thought that was a really big get when they recruited him. I thought he was under, you know, I thought he was a bit under recruited. Um, I thought he was a bit underrated um, on the recruiting trail. Really good size, really athletic player, has potential to be really good, I think. Um, but yeah, Tech's going to need some production at defensive end in particular, right? You talk about, you talk about offensive tackle, right? In the outside of the offensive line, like I think Virginia Tech's weakness and the questions are at defensive end.
1: Yeah, who's who's going to be that other starter opposite Garvin that's going to make some noise? Who's going to be somebody in the two deep that you can really rely on to go out there and give you, you know, three or four quality series? And really beyond that, I mean, you want to have a solid three deep at the defensive line. Um, you know, who are those? You know, five and six guys going to be across that that defensive line that can come in at defensive end and still get pressure on the quarterback and and slow down the run.
0: For those who are wondering where the hell Mike just went, Mike's dog is fell asleep in his kitchen. I'm thinking Mike's trying to get him to snoring. Food. He's literally <laughs> snoring.
2: I mean, it's, it's it's it. <laughs> We could get going get on and mean, like walking out of the shot. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's going on. Yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been a little under the weather the last few days. Had a infection on his leg and his walking's been an issue and stuff like. He's 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 a four year old golden retriever. He's fine. You know, just gotta give him some medicine. He'll pop right back up. But uh, now I, the medicine makes him sleep real heavy. So there we go. My <laughs> <snoring. Out. laughs> that's, that's great. great but i I think again, I think
0: it's no doubt with this group as well is not i don't I don't even think possibility. I think it's a guarantee and it to me, I don't think it matters where we go, whether it's inside or outside or both, yeah. and we we've got to get stronger there and I think what this goes back to, and this is where I will completely bust the old staff we've talked about it complete roster mismanagement over the last two years complete roster mismanagement it's why we had nine running backs but not enough you know not enough linemen or we had two tackles and nine guards i don't know brian how many times would you be like but it's another guard like we need- stop, why we get, we stop getting
1: guys that? that were high school
2: tackles that are you, well, know. you know you're going to move them to guard like what the hell are you doing <laughs> right i mean You see him at one position at the high school level, and you're clearly recruiting him to another one at the college level. Like, stop recruiting the same guy over and over. That's all we saw. It's true.
0: Well, guys, that kind of wraps up the spring game, what we're seeing. Obviously, between now and really about four months from now, about actually about three months from now, you know, we expect to see movement um, and all that because, you know, there are pieces missing on this team. But I also think with this coaching staff, a lot of these guys potentially they recruited two and three years ago might be looking for a new home. And luckily, that is where Brent Pry has relationships. That is where like Derek Jones has relationships, where it could be a kid they recruited in 2018, still have the good relationship with. Let's make a call. Let's see if we can get this kid to come. All right. I'm going to flip over. Let's talk about the draft real quick. Um. Obviously, the Hokies have essentially eight, uh, maybe nine with Parker Rome, if you count the kicker. LaCita Smith, Amari Barno, James Mitchell, Luke Tenuta, Jermaine Waller. Our guess last week, Jordan Williams, Trey Turner, Raheem Blackshear. Um, let, let me get y'all's opinions. Who is the first Hokie taken in the 2022 NFL draft?
2: This would have been a layup if James Mitchell didn't blow out his knee. Oh yeah. <laughs> Damn yep. layup. Um I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna go with Waller. Okay, um, okay. So if Barno had a really good year, it would have been like, all right, Barno, physical freak, right? Like can do a little bit of everything. And look, the, the pro scouts can still look at him that way, right? Because Physical specimen, really athletic. But we've seen what Waller can be when he's healthy. Like, we know he's capable of being one of the best corners in the ACC, which is like no slouch of a football conference, right? And really good receivers end up playing in the NFL out of the ACC. And Waller's strapping him up, you know, when he's at his best. So my pick is Waller. Although, if James Mitchell didn't blow his knee out, I I think – we all know where this was heading, right? I mean, oh yeah. are looking for a pass rusher, right? You're looking for a pass rusher, or you're looking for a dynamic playmaker on the outside, and Mitchell can be that, and Barno can be the pass rusher, but Waller is a lockdown corner that, you know, I think at his best, you know, you, you can you can still get him like round three, round four potentially, because he's had this kind of up and down injury history, but his upside's really really good. So I might go. I'm gonna go with Waller. All right.
1: Curtis, can I hedge? No, you can't hedge. <laughs> okay, so um, with that being said, if I can't hedge, I'm going to go Lasitas Smith. Um, I think he's probably the most consistent, less volatile selection here because there he's pretty much going to go where he's going to go. He th- There's not that like, okay, well, he could go – as early as early day two, but he could also go as late as End of you know, seven. middle middle or to late of day three. He doesn't have that big window. I feel like he's kind of pretty much locked in to a much smaller window. So that's why I'll go with him. But I'll say that to say this. Um, number one, I think Barno has the potential to go the highest just on his physical ability.
0: All right. I missed one he, person, he, by the way, Brock Hoffman. My bad. Yeah, Brot, so but continue. Just yeah, so I, I think
1: Barno has the potential to go the highest, just based on his physical traits. Uh, we've seen NFL teams in the past take uh, a flyer on a physical freak. Uh, think of Bruce Irvin uh, with
2: Seattle when when that A flyer, <laughs> but everybody I mean, was killing him for it too. Remember, everybody yeah. was killing him for it, and he ended up being a pretty pretty damn good player for him. Yeah. Solid yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I,
1: I think there's some potential there. Um, not not necessarily as high as Bruce went, but I think you could see, you know, potentially early day two um, for Barno. But you could see as late as you know late day two, early day three. Um, there's there's a pretty big window, I think, for for where he goes. Um, and then you said Waller, and while I agree with you at his best, I don't know if at this point if there if he's going to get some of the Caleb Farley, stigma of the injured Virginia Tech cornerback yeah. going into
0: a draft. That's type fair. That's fair.
2: All right. That's fair.
0: I, I like y'all sticking with your guys, but it's going to be Barna. And the reason is <laughs> – Oh, yeah. <Kurt. laughs> it's going to be Barna. He's going to be the first for the reason is you can't teach the speed and bring him to the NFL – they're going to – somebody's just going to – like a wide nine. Me and Brian talked about our teams run a wide nine very similar. I forgot. Who's your team, Mike?
2: I'm um, Pats fan.
0: You're a Pats fan. Okay. Yeah. Eh. This my Eli. Oh, no. <laughs> but there's going to be some team that runs a wide nine, like the Niners or the Colts or maybe the Jets, that are just going to say we can mold him into being a all-around defensive end. But you know what we can do this first year? get out on the nine, put your helmet directly at the quarterback, and run as fast as you can to him. And, you know, with a guy like him having that speed, I don't think a team will care. They'll just say he's our pass rush specialist. We also see him put him on special teams. He can go track somebody down. Um, I will say this. I think James Mitchell, you talked about him being the lock. I think Mitchell's going to go higher because I think he tore his ACL at the perfect time. He tore his ACL at the perfect time where he's gonna be getting right back into being able to participate in some of those camps. There's gonna be someone around round four that's gonna say, this guy's a skillful guy. He's probably really a top 50 player. We're gonna get him about 150 or 120. We're going to take the risk because when we get to the the mini camps in June, he's probably going to be just about ready to go. And yeah, I think finished. the thing Virginia Tech did
1: poorly for him is that we we didn't necessarily give Mitchell as much opportunity to to show his skill set. At the same at the same time, you know, he he did show it in some areas. So, and and I think the NFL scouts see see the ability. So the, the question is, they're going to say, well. I don't care what the tape says, that they didn't get him involved in the offense as much as they should have. We're, we're, we're taking a flyer.
2: This is just what we do with tight end. <laughs> are, I will say do. this.
0: Of the nine guys out there, I think, I think six have a legitimate shot to get drafted. And I think all will wind up on a roster somewhere. I think six, because some of them have position versatility um, and things like that, I think six of them are going to get drafted. Um, later rounds, obviously. You know, best of luck to all of them. Um, even though I'm sure we could probably sit here in two weeks and have a, an episode entitled "You Should Have Stayed in School."
2: I mean, I'll tell you what, man. Trey Turner ran a four-four-three or whatever the hell he ran at the combine. That's going to help. yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have I have questions about um, what Trey Turner was as a freshman versus what he could have turned into and didn't. But I don't know if that says more about Trey Turner or more about the departed coaching staff. So um, just felt like he was the same receiver his entire career. And I feel like what we saw when he was a freshman, we all thought he was going to be Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips type receiver. And we all called him big play Trey, but he never really turned into that guy. And, you know, him running a really fast 40 at the combine, the fact that he catches everything. (laughs) You know, he's not the guy who dropped a lot of balls. Right. And, you know, I think he's got an opportunity to get drafted. Whereas like going into the combine, I'm like, I don't know if Trey Turner is going to be a a guy who's going to realistically be drafted. I felt like sixth or seventh round, maybe. Um, Now I, I would be surprised if he didn't go just given kind of how he's how he's tested.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he's he's kind of in that in that fringe area now, especially with his uh, with his combine, and yeah, I think he did pretty good at his pro day as well. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah. He, well, he was at uh, two pro he days, was, <laughs> yeah. two of the same day. Yeah, yeah, two of the same day. So like a pass <laughs> from like, Malik
2: Willis. Yeah, and could have could yeah. have been yeah. Blacksburg. <laughs> Screw that. <Yeah>. up. <laughs> what do I, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Is anything broken, boy, since we started an hour and 45 minutes ago? I'm not seeing anything, man. I think I think we're, we're good to we're good to call it. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast with our guest, Mike McDaniel. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at boundarycornervt.com. Listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account. We appreciate you guys really giving that a bump in the last uh, couple months here, getting more followers there. Also, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast source. We're on everything, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Definitely check out his uh, new release, Old Man Yelling at the TV, which was released last Friday. So take a listen to that. And as always, we thank you for listening. And let's go Hokies